It's wonderful to hear all those conversations and we hope we can keep them going shortly after the service, just before we get into our congregational meeting. We're going to read the Word of God now. My name is Nicole and it's my blessing to be able to read the Bible to you today. But first, let's come before our great God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful that we can be called your people, that we can gather together in this church as members of your church, the body of Jesus. And we thank you for our Lord Jesus, who himself was literally heaven on earth, that he even taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we live our earthly lives, with that heavenly outlook, knowing that we are part of this wonderful kingdom. We pray, Lord, that you would help us see how to merge these kingdoms, as Jesus himself did walking on this earth, showing people the kingdom of light while we still are members of this earthly kingdom. We pray for your word as it comes to us and as James opens it up to us that you would inspire us to take that message wherever we are. We ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. So our reading today is from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, chapter nine, verses 19 to 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. All right. Well, good morning again, everyone. It's awesome to be here with you guys. Uh, for those of you that weren't here last week, we're kicking off this, se- this series looking uh, briefly at what it looks like for us to reach out to lost people. And to, guess, to give us a little bit of an intro to this, let me tell you a story from a few years back. Uh, so in 2008, I found myself somewhat unexpectedly working at Foxtel. Uh, I'd been in ministry uh, for a little while as a pretty fresh uh, young guy out of university, ended up leaving that and sort of not sure what I was going to do next, took this job at Foxtel, uh, and it was great in all sorts of different ways. I learned what real work looks like, you know, doing the day-to-day grind, learned what big corporate life looks like, how big organizations work. But I remember one day the the penny sort of dropping for me in terms of how I was part of a much bigger uh, machine was when the CEO of Foxtel came in to sort of address the troops. It was one of those meetings, for those of you that had been in those corporate sections and that sort of thing. And he explained to us how they were changing their advertising direction. They just brought out this new product called the IQ2. It was when you could first start to you know, record TV shows and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and they were saying how the way they'd been pitching it was really aspirational. 
So there was this ad where like people sort of you know traced the development of like the VCR through to you know CD players to Blu-ray and this sort of thing. And then it came along this new Foxtel product, the IQ2, and people would sort of whistle. And I can't even do the whistle, but it was like you know like wow, that, you know that's yeah that's it yeah out there. Some of you remember it, okay? Uh, it was like you know whoa, check that out. And what they realised was was that in trying to make this seem like the brand new flash thing, they'd made Foxtel seem like an aspirational product. It was a luxury item. It was something that, you know, it was for the, the, the flash people that always wanted the newer, brighter th sort of thing. And they realized that that actually wasn't helping them sell this new product. Because they realized that what they needed to do was pitch Foxtel, pay TV, as a great package for the family that was budget because it meant that you didn't have to go out as much to see movies and all that sort of stuff. You could stay at home and for this one small monthly fee, you could save money rather than going out. And they started to pitch it, not at dads wanting new technology, but at mums who made the decision about budgets. And I always thought about that because what was really interesting is the product didn't change. They weren't changing the product, they weren't changing the content of what they were doing. All the same channels were still there and all that sort of stuff. But they recognised that the messaging makes a difference. The way that they package it makes a difference. And as we're going to see today, the way that we package the gospel makes a difference. The content... The truth of it has been the same for 2,000 years. But the way that we tell people about it matters. Now, we're going to see that ultimately it's God that brings the growth, but how we actually talk about the gospel and how we present it, how we seek to tell people the good news about Jesus does matter. Now, the other thing that I want to, uh, the reason I tell that story is because if you're visiting here with us this morning and you're not a Christian, this is a little bit like you being a Foxtel customer walking in off the street and joining that meeting and being like, I didn't know that's why I bought my box. So like you, 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 you step behind the screen and you suddenly realize, oh, wow, that totally worked on me. Now, that's a little bit awkward, let's be honest. If, uh, if you're somebody and you're a Christian, you've brought a non-Christian friend today, you might be, oh, uh, <clears throat> uh, hmm, it's a bit awkward. But you know what? I don't care. Because I don't care how much, if you're visiting here with us, you learn about what we're doing to try and tell you the good news of Jesus, because we are so desperate for you to hear the good news of Jesus, that even if you do come behind the counter, so to speak, and understand what we're doing to try and tell you about it, cool, good. As long as you actually engage with the truth of the gospel, you hear that message, I don't mind if you're behind the counter. So come on in. All right? But... To do this, we are going to look at this idea of merging universes, and we are just a little bit off. So, Catherine, somehow the slides have skipped down. We need to go back up to the start of the slides there, because this is about halfway through. We'll just get that fixed up. Uh, because what we're doing, like I said, is we're talking about this broader uh, vision and mission idea. And so we're looking at our vision as a church, which is to be an ever-growing community of people who love the Lord and one another. And when we talk about being a community of people who love the Lord and love one another and an ever-growing community, we talk about growth in two different ways. So here we go, all right? The first growth is growing in number. That's what happens when we tell people about Jesus. They become believers, okay? From the very earliest days of the church, this was what was actually happening. And the second way that we look to grow people is to mature them up in Christ. And so when that's our vision, that's what we're trying to do there. But then it's our mission to make Christ-like disciples in Southeast Brisbane and beyond. And last week, we looked at how the Bible teaches us about how the early church sought to make disciples, about how Jesus commanded us to make disciples, and that it was the love of Christ, the love of Jesus and all that he'd done for us, that compels people to want to make disciples. 
So this is our vision and mission as a church. And what I explained is the reason that we're focusing on how we tell people about Jesus at the start of the year is because we've recognized as we've looked at some of the stats and that sort of stuff, that we're not necessarily doing a very good job at this really essential core part of what we're meant to be about. And so some of the numbers that I put up last week, we talked about the year-on-year growth. You know, we've grown by 14% year-on-year from Term 4 2022 to Term 4 2023. We grew by 12%. 54 new people approximately joining us. This is all absolutely great. But of that growth, only about five people were new believers, people that weren't previously Christian that became Christian. So in terms of growth when it comes to seeing new believers come to know Jesus, we've only grown by about 1% to 2%. Now, here's the thing. I'm not worried about the numbers for the numbers' sake, but what the thing is that numbers represent people. That 1% to 2% represents the number of people that came to know Jesus, and I want that number to get bigger and bigger. That's what we should all want as Christians who believe in the Lord Jesus and are so thankful for the work that he's done in our life. We would want to see the number of people coming to believe in Jesus grow and grow. And so our point of emphasis this year is to get better at telling people about Jesus. Now, as I said... This is not something that we ultimately are in complete control over. Let me show you what I'm talking about from the scriptures here. Uh, So this is Paul writing in 1 Corinthians, and he's talking to them about some of the issues that they've been having as as young believers in the faith, and some of them have been getting very excited about aligning themselves with particular teachers. Some of them are like, I'm with Paul. Some of them are like, I'm with Apollos. And then those really lame guys were like, well, I'm with Jesus. It's like, yeah, cool, thanks, all right? But... Paul wants to address this and say to them, it's not about which teacher you follow because when people come to know Jesus, it's a team activity and ultimately uh, God's in control of it. So he says, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. When we talk about what our part to play in this is, the first thing we need to recognize is that ultimately, while we might sow seed, it's God who brings the growth. It's ultimately salvation, an act of God. It's something that God does to rescue people. But we can improve our methods and process. As we seek to be used by God, we can seek to be as wise as we possibly can in the way that we tell people about Jesus, in the way that we package the truth of the gospel, so to speak. And so as I explained last week, what we're going to do over the next few weeks is walk uh, through part of this book uh, by Sam Chan called How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, all right, a title that most of you really enjoyed. Uh, It's based off his bigger, more academic work, Evangelism in a Skeptical World, that you might want to have a look at. But we're just going to be focusing on three things from the book, really, really practical things when it comes to telling people about Jesus. The first is merging universes, which the KidSpot did an amazing job with. I was like, man, that should just be the sermon, but I prepared it, so I'll do it anyway. Uh, Then we're going to talk about next week going to their things, and then after that, thinking about layers of conversation when it comes to telling people about Jesus. But this week, like I said, merging universes. So the first thing I want us to get and grasp with this is that evangelism is a relational team sport. Evangelism is a big fancy word that just means telling people about Jesus. It comes from Evangel, the good news, the story about Jesus, telling people the story about Jesus is a relational team sport. Here's Paul Montessionians. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith 
your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. When they told the people there about Jesus, they did so with the power of the Holy Spirit working through them and with deep conviction. They really believed it. They really meant it. But here's the key thing I want to see. You know how we lived among you. They weren't just popping in. They weren't just parachuting in. They were there amongst them, how we lived among you. They were together. They knew them. When you read Thessalonians, it's really, really clear that Paul loved these guys. He said, we loved you like a father. We loved you like a mother. You, you, you know how much we care about you. And so he frames him and the rest of these guys telling the Thessalonians about Jesus in the context of relationship. And also, he frames it in terms of what the guys all together were doing. It wasn't just Paul. So often when we think about people telling people about Jesus, we think about you know, a solo person going out there on their own, having these really difficult conversations, telling people about Jesus. But we actually see in the scriptures that even though Paul is the guy that we all think about and remember Paul's missionary journeys and all that sort of stuff, every step of the way he has a team with him. Lots of the time he's got Luke, Sometimes he's got Mark, sometimes he doesn't want Mark, you know, but there's lots of times when he's got people alongside him as he's seeking to tell people about Jesus. And so again, from the earliest days of the church, we need to recognize that evangelism is a relational team sport. It's something that's done together. Telling people about Jesus is a community project. That's the picture that we see in the scriptures. And so we need to understand first and foremost, that if we're going to achieve our vision to be an ever-growing church who loves the Lord and loves people, we need to recognize that this is something that we do together. Not as a bunch of individuals going off and just doing our own thing, but something that we corporately as the body of Christ do together. That's what this looks like. And it just so happens that this community approach that we see here in the scriptures is also really vital in terms of people coming to believe anything. Belonging to a community of faith is more persuasive than personal experience or even facts and data. See, some of you probably read that and you're like, really? Because we like to think in our Western world where we value science and the empirical method and where we study things and we've got all this information, we like to think that we make our decisions based upon reason and logic, or maybe next, thinking about our own experience with something. You know, I've got the measure of a person, I've sat down with them, I've looked them in the eye, I've got this personal experience that leads me and guides me to make my decisions. But that's not actually what the sociological data shows us. As Chan says in his book, community is the most powerful force in determining belief. Community shapes the way we interpret our experiences. Community shapes the way that we interpret facts, evidence, and data. Let me uh, try and make the point by uh, giving you an anecdote uh, with this hairstyle. <clears throat> Does anyone know what this is called? Okay, somebody's laughing because they had this hairstyle at one point. I guarantee it. That's what that laugh was. Thank you, Nerida. Awesome. Amazing. Uh, anyone know what this is called? 1986, close, all right, we're right there, the mid, you know, sort of turn of the 90s, that sort of thing. These are called mall bangs, okay, that's the official title, all right? 
Bangs can take many shapes and forms, you know? Bangs are great, no, no shade on anyone having bangs here, okay? But when I was 18, uh, 17, I moved to the States for a year to do an exchange program. And like every girl in the small town in Wisconsin had this haircut. Now, here's the thing, it's a small town in Wisconsin, so what was big 10 years ago was what the girls were wearing then in the year 2000, all right? So they all looked like girls from the start of the 1990s, but this was the thing, after a year, this is what I thought was normal. This is what I thought was just the, the, the standard of feminine beauty. And then I returned to Australia, and all of a sudden, nobody had more bangs. I went from small town Wisconsin back to cosmopolitan Melbourne, and I was looking around, and I'm like, yeah, that was, that was a, a belief, an opinion that was formed in that community because that was all I was experiencing and knowing. The data hadn't changed, the look was the same, but all of a sudden I was looking at the photos of my friends from back there going, oh, wow, yeah, right, that's a different thing. Now, you might laugh, but apparently they're coming back, okay? So just be on your guard and forming your own opinion going forward. But this thing, that, that's kind of a silly example. But the thing is, is that this is something that we need to grapple with as people just in the world today. This, this, this is really just a maturity thing. This isn't even just a reaching the lost thing. We need to recognize that the communities that we belong to and the, the discussions that we're a part of and the voices that we're listening to shape our opinions in all sorts of ways. So this is, a, uh, this is from the States. I know it's a little bit hard to read, but basically what they've done is uh, left side of political, a lot of politics, right side of politics, and they sort of, you know, most extreme left, hyperpartisan, skews left, neutral, so on and so forth. And depending on which news source you're listening to, depending on which community of news you are in, that's going to shape your opinion about facts and data. It doesn't matter if the facts are the same. It doesn't matter if the data is the same. It doesn't matter if the actual objective events are the same. The community that you're part of is going to shape it. And it's the same thing here in Australia also. And if you look at that and you see that they're saying that somebody's in the center and you're like, that's ridiculous, they're definitely on this side or that side, that's what I'm talking about. All right? We need to recognize that the, the communities that we're a part of shapes the belief that we're in. We need to be wise to that as Christians because we want to make sure that the scriptures are shaping us, but we also need to recognize that even the voices we listen to that interpret the scriptures are going to have an influence on us beyond what we're necessarily aware of. Especially these days when, when social media is such a force in our world, we both know that the algorithms that we engage with on social media, even with Google and all that sort of stuff, your search results are going to be different depending on what spaces you've already been in. You don't even know the communities that you're a part of because the algorithm is generating so much of it for you. So we have to be wise to this on two levels. One, as Christians, we need to be wise to this in terms of our own faith development and our own understanding of the world, even our understanding of Scripture. It's not avoidable, but if we're aware of it, that we can keep thinking it through. But the point in terms of this, this missional focus and what it means for us to reach the lost is that we need to be wise in recognizing that the community that a person is a part of will affect the way that they interpret personal experience and facts. So, if I'm telling somebody about Jesus and I'm telling them the truth of the gospel, I'm presenting the historical evidence, I'm talking about my own personal experience, unless they're part of a community of people that validates that and thinks that that's true and reasonable and good, they're much less likely to actually believe that. 
And it's funny, because when we look at the scriptures, even when Paul is quoting eyewitness testimony and his own personal experience, he does so in the context of talking about the community that this belief has become valid in. So in 1 Corinthians, he talks about how Jesus appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12, the 12 disciples of Jesus. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Now, on one level, he's stacking this up saying, look at all these eyewitnesses that we have. But on another level, notice how he's calling these people by name. He's talking to them about people they know. Peter believes this. James believes this. The apostles believe this. The other brothers and sisters that you know believe this. There's a community of people that believe in this. Now, just to be clear, and Sam does a great job in the book in in explaining this, he says, we're talking about the believability of a story, not how true it is. Jesus is risen from the dead, whether you choose to believe it or not. But a story, no matter how true, is hard to believe if no one else in your community believes it. So this is the thing. What this means is the gospel can be true and real, but if all you're doing is going out and telling people about Jesus by yourself and you're never actually bringing them into the community of faith, the odds of them coming to believe that story, regardless of its truth, is significantly diminished. Now, can God save through solo individual evangelistic efforts? Of course, absolutely. Does God save people through dreams? 100%. Does God save people through their own personal reading of Scripture? Completely and totally. This is not in any way trying to say that God is limited what he can, in what he can do. What this is doing is recognizing the wisdom that God has given us in recognizing how he typically works and then seeking to be wise with that. So we need to recognize that one of the main reasons our friends aren't Christian is they don't belong to a community of friends who also believe in Jesus. What that means is to make the true story of Jesus as believable as possible, we need to merge our universes. We need to bring together our Christian and non-Christian friends as the Spotlight team did so beautifully. And here's the thing. Even as somebody who's in professional ministry, and if I don't mind saying so myself, pretty good at telling people about Jesus, like I've I've got apologetic gospel jujitsu going on, all right? I've had so many conversations about Jesus. People make a move, they think it's a smackdown argument. I'm like, that's cool, let me take that, twist that back around, and I've got you here, okay? I've just, Sam got excited with jujitsu there, sorry. Um, But this is the thing, right? For all of my awesome skills, because I've had the privilege of getting to develop these over time, and that's my job and my profession and that sort of stuff, as somebody who was going into high schools for six years, having conversations with kids day in and day out, do you know I didn't see one kid become a Christian through me going into the schools and just telling them about Jesus? But I did see kids become Christian when they came to youth group and made friends with other kids who believed, and then they were like, actually, maybe this is a real thing that I want to get in on. You can be really good at gospel conversations. That's a great skill. That's an important thing. Being able to answer questions, being able to understand objections, being able to deconstruct people's, uh, you know, defeated beliefs as to to why they reject the gospel. Really, really, really important. All really great skills. And if you're good at that, that's awesome. We're going to use that. But 
you're going to be much less effective unless you, alongside of your ability to talk about Jesus yourself, bring people into community where they can get to know other people who believe the gospel message that we're telling them about. And so we need to get wise to this, especially as most of, this, most of us in this room are, are, are grown-ups. Because when we talk about actually doing evangelism in this context of a team sport and relationally and that sort of stuff, what we're really talking about in so many ways is just making friends. And the thing is, making friends is relatively easy when you're young, right? You're in a structured setting where you spend time with the same people every day. Lots of primary school teachers out here, you've seen it, right? Kids at the start of the year don't want to talk to each other, but at the end of the year, they're, they're in tears when they can't get to play together. High school, you know, again, you, you, your friendship circles grow a little bit bigger as you're capable of handling more complex relationships and all that sort of stuff. You get to uni and you're the envy of all your you know, adult friends who are looking at you just thinking, yeah, when you had that much time, man, like just... Because the thing is, the truth is, that when it comes to making friends, you know, when, when you start you know, to get married yourself or other people get married, your social life changes, right? It can look a little bit different. Now, if you have kids, it can change again. You know, kids start to make friends and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, look at those guys. How many times have you been this guy standing at a party as this guy's telling you about, yeah, so no, my income tax last year was a little bit disappointing, but, um, you know, and you've just, you're at the kids' party, you're not immediately connecting with these people. You just sort of have to be there because your kids are together. But this is the thing is that, you know, it changes over time, doesn't it? Again, you think about people that you're friends with now, that it was just because your kids spent enough time together, it just sort of happened. So the, the comedian, uh, John Mulaney, he jokes about uh, how dads don't have friends, their mums have friends and their, and their mums have wives. Sorry, their, their wives, their, sorry, their mums have husbands. That was, that was weird. <laughs> Messed that one up. Thanks, I'm glad I picked that up and didn't just keep going. All right? Dads don't have friends, mums have friends, and they have husbands. That's how that works. All right? But you spend enough time together, and, and that's how relationships can grow. Now, if you're lucky and blessed, in later years we consolidate friendships and we trade quantity for quality and all that sort of thing. But again, if we're gonna, I'm talking about all this because if we actually want to live out this principle of what it means to do evangelism in terms of being a relational and team sport, for the sake of the gospel, we have to keep making friends even though for some of us it's harder than ever. And there's all sorts of reasons for this. It's not just the way that we live. It's also the bigger sociological trends that we experience. Like People move more frequently. People change jobs more frequently. They start at new schools. There's all sorts of things. There's constant change happening. But even though that makes it harder, in lots of ways that also creates more opportunity for us. So a few articles that have come out recently talking about how 60% of Australians report themselves as being lonely. 80% of them say it's a problem in their world. Now, for those of us who are called to, to, to love our neighbours, Jesus said that this is you know, one of the, the fulfilments of the entire law. As we look at a world that's lonely and lacking friendship and lacking relationship, it means that as we fill the loneliness gap, we can build communities where the gospel can be believed. Now, I'm going to finish up on this last point because I know that I, I, my assumption is that most of you, and I know, you know lots of you, and I know lots of the worlds that you live in, my assumption is this, when I start talking about making friends and all this sort of stuff, all right, all you see is the time factor. 
You, you think about how much you already have to do, and you think about the idea of adding relationships and that sort of stuff in, and this quickly can become something that means it's just, I get it, I see the logic, I see how it makes sense, but it's just it's between the kids and work and serving in church and all the rest of it, it just it feels like it's too much. And so this is where we're, you know, what we're calling sort of the tagline for the series is that we have to remember is that when we talk about evangelism, what we're talking about is a, is a lifestyle change. When we're talking about merging universes, we're not talking about adding a whole bunch of stuff in. We're talking about recognizing that there are opportunities around us all the time to do this merging universe thing. That when you are going to go to the movies, instead of just going with Christian friends or just going with work friends, you actually say, how about we get a group together and do this? How about we, we mix our spaces up together? When you're, when you're doing social stuff and you think, hey, let's have some people around for dinner or something like that, why don't we proactively seek to mix up our universes and think about how we can get people together? And it's okay like, to matchmake your friends. Not everybody's going to get along with everybody. All right? It's one of my joys uh, as, as a pastor is I get to watch, you know, particularly at Night Church, let's be honest, that's the demographic, as these guys sort of start looking at each other. I'm like, oh, yeah, I see what's going on here. Okay? Now, that's a privilege of my job. But you guys can do the same thing with your friends. You're like, oh, yeah, they both like cycling. I can see this. Let's, uh, let's try and get these guys together here. Yeah, they, these guys like to, to talk nerdy movies, and I'm, I don't want to do that at all. So let's, let, let's get them together and maybe see what, what can happen here. You think about you know, kids' parties and that sort of stuff, and you think about who are you getting together? Can, can we bring in our non-Christian and Christian friends? Now, I'm talking about this. I don't want to make it seem, sound like it, it's easy, but what I, would, I do want to say is that it, it's totally doable if we're proactive about it. it. It does mean making some sacrifices. Because let's be honest, when we as... Christians get together, there's an ease of conversation. There's an agreement about certain topics, mostly. There's common experience. There's language that you use similarly, all that sort of thing. When you start to merge your universes together, it's going to mean there can be some awkwardness and that sort of stuff. Somebody says something about something happening in the news and, okay, cool, how are we going to navigate our way through this one? But you know what? You'd be amazed at what you can figure out when you start to try and so, in lots of ways, guys, this is a really, really simple message for us today. I just want you to get this idea of what it looks like to, to merge universes together and start to be deliberate about looking at your life and thinking, okay, if I'm going out for drinks, how can I get my different universes together? If I'm doing the kids' party, how can I get the different universes together? One, one great way you know, is just to seek to be a good neighbor. Like, do you know the people that live around you? You know, some of my, the, the Christians that I, that I love the most who are really active in this space, you know, they're, they're always like the center of the neighborhood hub. There's a street party or they'll do like a Christmas street party or something like that. So often because the Christians have been the one knocking on doors saying, hey, we just thought we'd do something a bit fun, getting stuff going and that sort of stuff. They invite their Christian friends in. Some of you have absolutely parachuted me in to social situations where the only reason I'm there is to be the minister that can talk about church and that sort of stuff. And you know what? That's fine. Use me like that, okay? Although, no, my wife did say, don't make an open promise, all right? That's not everyone. I still have to, you know, be at home and that sort of thing, okay? But this thing, we, you know, we've just moved into a new house. So we're trying to proactively think about 
what does it look like to, to bring people in, to get to know our neighbors and, and all that sort of stuff? So, really simple. What does it look like for you to merge universes? We're gonna talk more over the next coming weeks about other things that we can be doing, but this is the starting point. How can we pro- be proactive in recognizing that in order to be effective in proclaiming the gospel, we need to get a community of faith and a community of people together where faith is good and positive, and that will mean that we'll have much more effective conversations about Jesus and all that we do. So, I'm gonna pray now, uh, and then we're gonna wrap up for day. Don't forget about the annual congregational meeting. Uh, the Kids Church leaders did invite me to remind you that Kids Church does not continue through the meeting, so you will need to collect your children and figure out what you're doing with them uh, if you're sticking around and that sort of stuff. Uh, but let's pray together now. Father God, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and all that he's done. Thank you that if we, as today we've talked about strategy and believability and all that sort of stuff. Let us not lose sight of the truth of your gospel. Let us not lose sight of the awesome gift that we have been given uh, to believe and trust in you and to have received that salvation. We pray, Father, for anybody here who is visiting with us. Uh, we, we recognize, Father, it's a little awkward to, to talk about all this sort of stuff, but at the same time, Father, if it communicates how deeply we believe this stuff, and how important it is to us, and the eternal significance of what the Lord Jesus has done, then so be it, Father. And we just pray, Father, that you'd be working in all of our hearts and minds, giving us a greater measure of faith, a greater measure of understanding. And we pray, Father, that we would, as a church, accept this project to start to merge our universes together in order that we might tell more and more people about Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.